You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. If we haven't met, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Willamette. You made it on Sunday. You are a pastor's dream come true on Daylight Saving Sunday. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're in this series called A Different Kind of Happy. And speaking of happy, before we jump into the message today, you guys, quick reminder that Easter is just four weeks away. Easter at Willamette. I can't believe it springs here. I know it doesn't feel like spring, uh, but it is true Easter at Willamette, four weeks away. We have three services, Saturday, April 8th at 6 p.m., and then our normal service times on Sunday, 9 and 1045. You may be thinking, Brian, why is there an asterisk at the 6 p.m. service? Well, let me tell you, because here's the deal. Uh, Here's the asterisk. If you have friends, ask yourself, do I have friends? Okay, if you have friends that don't regularly attend a church, okay, and have kiddos, littles, uh, invite them to join you for the Saturday option. And here's why. Saturday's going to be so great. We have a block party that is starting that afternoon at 4.30. Lots of game stuff, all the great things. An Easter egg hunt at 5 p.m. And then our Easter service at 6 p.m. A lot of times we have friends that don't attend church, but they already have made plans because even if you don't go to church on Easter, you usually make Easter plans like brunch and all those types of things. So maybe they already have plans, but you could invite them Saturday night because they don't have plans, especially if they have kids. It's going to be a great service on Saturday. Now, to be clear, you can invite them on Sunday too. Go figure, right? Like, come on Sunday, come Saturday, figure out what's best for them. But we just wanted to make sure that you knew that Saturday night's going to be a great option as well. I'm excited for Easter. It's going to be great, but I'm also excited for the series that we've been in. Uh, So let's jump into it today. A different kind of happy. This is the last message of this series that we've been in, looking at this message of Jesus where he is inviting us to live a different kind of life. And when we live that different kind of life, it leads us to this different kind of happy. And if you're just now joining us, no worries. You don't have to worry that this is the last message. We'll get you caught up here and get you the big idea. Because the the reality is, is we're looking at this message of Jesus that he wanted to clarify who he was. And he did this primarily in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the New Testament is this message. It's a, a It's a sermon where Jesus said, hey, I want to clarify with you who God is, who I am, what I've come to establish. And specifically at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have what is known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, and he talks about the blessed life that we can have in Christ, but it's a a different kind of happy. So in this series, we've been looking at the difference between normal happy versus this different kind of happy. And again, I've been mentioning this through the series. Uh, normal happy isn't necessarily bad. It's not bad if you're like, I'm just happen to be happy today. Is that wrong? No. No, normal happy is the things that you look forward to, you know, that makes you happy. It's the things that make you smile, right? That's just normal happy. Hopefully, you experience a little bit of normal happy in your life. For instance, uh, Jen and I, we just got back from Hawaii. We celebrated our 
our anniversary. There's a lot of normal happy going on in Hawaii. In fact, um, I was just going to give you just a little glimpse of, of what we did in Hawaii. Uh, I've always wanted to be, now this may shock you. For others of you, you're like, darn right, that's exactly what Brian wanted. But I've always wanted to be in a biker gang. <laughs> I know, I know. Some of you are like, totally. Yeah, that's, that fits Brian exactly. And, uh, and I, you know, ride Harleys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you guys, um, we went on our 25-year anniversary. We went to this rental shop and um, check this out. Yeah, yeah, check this out. Check this out. Dream come true. I know some of you are nervous right now because I am so intimidating. Um, but don't worry, I'm not as intimidating as I look. Uh, Jen and I went to this rental, and um, full dis- disclosure, we didn't rent Harleys, you guys. We rented mopeds, okay? Uh, so it wasn't, exactly, it wasn't exactly biker gang, but we did tool around on those for just a few minutes and then had our, our, our joys. Um, uh, but it was normal happy. I'm smiling. You're smiling. Like, again, this isn't wrong. It's not bad to have some happy things in your your life. But, but here's what we know about normal happy. This is what we've been talking in this series, what Jesus wanted us to understand. There's a flip side if you only have normal happy, because normal happy is also fleeting. It's circumstantial. It's temporary. You need things to go right in order to be happy. And a lot of times it's temporary, like Hawaii's over. It is March in Portland, and it's practically snowing outside, and it's daylight savings. Let's talk about circumstances not always going right for you to be normal happy. And so Jesus, Jesus understands this, and Jesus created us more. God created us more than just trying to find the circumstantial happy things in our life. And Jesus, the life that I created for you is so much more than you just chasing after happy things that you can experience more of that, more than just mere happiness. And so Jesus came with this message, the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he showed us this. He showed us that God can be found and lives can be blessed in the midst of disappointing outcomes and unavoidable pain. That Jesus wants us to understand that no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, whether you've never been to Hawaii, whether your, your circumstances are not working out in life, whether you wish you could have some things go, but, but you can't seem to grab them, no matter who you are or what you're facing, God created you to experience a different kind of happy, even in the midst of the outcomes that are disappointing and the pain that is unavoidable. So Jesus, talking to this crowd in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, begins to share this message, and he lists off all of these blessings that people can have in the midst. He would say things like, you can be blessed even if or, or even when. Not just, not just, you know, it might happen to you, or if you were born to the right parents, or if your job works out for you, or if your kids uh, end up doing a certain thing, then you'll be up. No, he, he basically says, you, you can be, and not just can be, you will be blessed. In other words, this should give all of us some hope because it's a promise. It's a promise that you can experience the fullness of life, a different kind of happy even when you're going through things. In fact, here are a few examples of Beatitudes, blessings that we've looked at over the weeks. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, that's not normal. Come on, somebody, right? Like, this is different. Because we don't feel blessed when we're mourning, when we're persecuted. 
But Jesus says, I, I get it. But deep down, something else, you can possess something, have something that God created you to have in the kingdom of God as we experience these unavoidable outcomes or pain. That God can be found, that lives can be blessed in the midst of all of these things. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean then? What, what does it look like for us to experience this? And so we've been focusing on this word blessed because it, it needs de defined. This Greek word makarios, to extend or make long. It's an announcement to whom God has extended his kingdom, supremely blessed, fortunate, well off, happy, or happier. In other words, it's this picture this Greek word of an extension to. It's making it available beyond. Where it would normally only be available here, there's a different kind of happy. It's extended out, and we are invited to experience this, this world, this kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And Jesus was making sure everyone knew who was invited. And he was saying, hey, if you're mourning, if you're persecuted, you're, you're not excluded. You're actually included. You're invited in. Jesus wants you and I to know that no matter who you are or what you're facing, you are invited to experience the goodness of God. It also clarifies what the kingdom of God is. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're invited, but just so you know, just so you know, this is what my kingdom looks like. Just so you know, if you think that like, oh, I'm just going to heaven, I'm going to live however I want, I'm just going to be mean to people and all that. She's like, no, no, that's not the invitation. The invitation is that you are invited, but this is what we do. This is what we look like. This is the kingdom of God. So I've been mentioning this a few weeks throughout this series. Seth Godin uh, wrote this book back in the day, and he kind of coined this phrase that we've been holding on to. Here's the phrase, people like us do things like this. In essence, Jesus was saying to the crowd, hey, you're invited, but just so you know, people like us, we do things like this. We live this way. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you need to also say yes to the ways of Jesus. We don't get to go, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I got my salvation card. I'm getting to heaven, and I'm just going to go do it. Jesus is like, that's not how it works. Because we, in the kingdom of God, we, the church, are actually meant to display the goodness of God to our world. And Jesus like, it matters. And it's good because it will bring you a different kind of happy. But it's not a kingdom buffet. I, I, I am not a fan of buffets. Okay, I just want to say that out loud. I'm not a fan of buffets. But if I go to one, um, you know how this works, right? You get your plate and then there's all the different aisles with all the different grandma's buffet or whatever. And you're like, pass, 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 pass. And then you find something that you might actually like. And sometimes we treat Christianity like that. We're like, okay, I, I, no, I, it's cool. I'm, I, I need something, so, but I'm going to pass on this, what God wants me to do. I'm going to pass on that attribute. I'm going to pass on that character. I just, I just, you know, I, I just want to be in. And Jesus is like, I want to preach a message, the Sermon on the Mount, to clarify that the way of the kingdom is to go all in for the kingdom, to, to say I'm all in with what, with what God wants for my life. Even in the midst of my circumstances that I, I can't control, I am going all in. And today, the last message, I'm so glad that this is how this worked out. The last beatitude that we're focusing on really paints a picture of a people 
that will say yes and completely, fully yes to the things of God, being all in. And we find this beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and Jesus says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now we're going to look at all three of these sections today, but beginning, and maybe most importantly, with this idea of hungering and thirsting. If you look at all the Beatitudes, you'll notice that this is where this Beatitude is one of the only Beatitudes where there is an action or a desire that is emphasized uh, practically over the attribute. Uh, Let me explain this. For for instance, in the other Beatitudes, we see phrases like this, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mourn, blessed are, are the peacemakers, that's normal. But then we get to this one that has some oomph behind it, and it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like Jesus is saying, hey, it's not just blessed are the righteous. There is an emotion attached to this. There is a desire. It's not just blessed are the righteous. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's this like, I'm in, I'm, I'm hungry for this. I desire this. Jesus was painting a picture of what a different kind of happy is like. And he's saying it's not casual. It's not a buffet of Christianity where we're like, I don't know, I guess I'll try that. I'm passing on the fried okra. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, I guess I'll take a little bit. He's like, no, 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 no. You, you won't be filled that way. It is all in. And if you think about it, this metaphor of hungry and thirsty, um, if you think about it, there's something like healthy about being hungry. Now, I don't mean malnourished or, or anything like that, but like, how happy are you after you eat something after being hungry, right? You just got a little, little content smile on your face. You're like, I was so hungry. You're like, mm, that's so good. Or have you ever gone grocery shopping hungry? Come on, somebody, right? Like dangerous, dangerous. But there's also kind of a goodness about it. Like you're walking down the aisle. You're like, yes, I will take some of this. Oh, and that looks good too. You know, I haven't had spam in a long time. I think I'm throwing that in there. There's something, there's gratefulness that takes place when you're hungry. You're just like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm, I'm in a place of food and I'm, I, I have a yes. It's like you sit down at the restaurant and they hand you a menu and you just say, yes, please. Right, you don't, you don't even have to look at it. You're just like, bring it to me. That also probably means you need to go on a diet. But like, this is this, is this idea of saying, I understand that I need food. I understand that I need water and I desire it. Jesus is saying, blessed are the people that know that they need God. And when you know you need God, you will be filled. Maybe you received our study guide uh, for your community life or took it personally. Uh, I love one scholar's paraphrase of, of this verse. It says this, blessed are those who long for their relationship with God to be made right. There's just a longing in your heart, just a, like, let's go. I'm hungry for this. I'm thirsty for this. Remember, Jesus is talking to a crowd that's trying to figure out true faith because there was such a bad representation of faith. Religion was painting a very bad picture of God. I think it's safe to say, much like in today's society, sometimes religion is painting a bad picture of God. A lot of Christians are known for what they're against, but very little known for what they're for. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
be hungry and thirsty. The religion of the day was very self-righteous, very self-sufficient, very content. And Jesus is like, I'm not looking for those people. Those people aren't invited. They're not going to want to eat and drink of what I have to offer. They're they're not self-sufficient. He's saying, blessed are the hungry and thirsty. It's a picture of desperation and desire. This picture of humility, this picture of, of desperation. God, I long for you. I need you to hunger and thirst, to want, even better, to need this desire. Nothing else will fill me. Nothing else will, will quench my thirst. Some of you know what this is like. You know, again, I'm, I'm assuming a couple of these things, but this is probably true. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night? Maybe you're sick, so you're like mouth breathing, kind of gross. But you know, like you're like, <sighs> and you wake up and like you are completely dried out in your mouth. You're like, <sniffs> and you are like trying to figure out like, and there's nothing there. You're just like, and then like, you're just, I, I got to drink something. I got to drink. And it doesn't matter that it's the middle of the night. It doesn't matter that they, like there's pillows on the floor now and your kids left toys. You just like make a beeline for the water because you need it. And you're like, you're like so parched. You're like, get out of my way. Oh, middle of the night. And you're just like, you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one right now? I mean, I've just heard that other people do this. I haven't done it. No, no, this is what it is, right? You stumble, rumble, bumble. You make a beeline for the sink because you need water. Friends, this is what the church should be. This is what the church is called to be when they're, for their hunger and their thirst for God. Where it's not like, oh, you know, maybe. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll read the scriptures, you know, maybe I'll talk to the big man upstairs. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to experience me, if you want to experience the kingdom, there's, there's a hunger and a thirst. And Jesus, remember, Jesus was casting vision to this crowd. And it's a vision that I hope that we will all respond to. That each one of us would say, God, I don't want to just kind of be casual in my faith. I want to lean in. There's nothing casual about our faith in Christianity. There's nothing casual about our pursuit of God. Nothing casual about our commitment. Jeremiah 29, 13 paints this picture. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And here's what I believe about this church. Here's what I believe about the season of life in our church and and, and 2023 and the history that we've had coming out of COVID and all these things. Here's what I believe. I believe in some of you, and I've said this before, I believe that a cork is ready to pop. If there is something on the inside of you, might be a little bit reserved, might be a little hesitant, uh, might, might be just a little bit afraid because of pain or history, or just kind of getting back into the motions and you found yourself kind of bottled up and God is saying, there is something about popping that cork to seek me with all of your heart and not to just be casual about it. Perhaps some of you have heard what has happened this past month at, at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky what's become known as the Asbury Revival or the Asbury Outpouring. 
For those of you that don't know, on February 8th, it was a normal chapel service at a college. Now, I don't know how many of you have gone to a Bible college that forces you to go to chapel. I have, okay? Just want to let you know. And you may think, oh my gosh, it must be amazing to go to a Bible college, and you have church every day, and I bet you people just line up at the door and just can't wait to enter into the presence of God. No. <laughs> a false. Let me tell you what chapel is like at college. Oh. And we're like, we, we stayed up all night. We wrote papers all night. We have to go to college. You, th- this will shock some of you. Uh, it shouldn't, but it, it might. Like when I was in college, we went to chapel. People have to sign in because it's forced attendance. People would slide their card to check in and then leave. These are future pastors. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. But like, let me just tell you, there's no anticipation. You have to go. And so you clock in, you clock out, you go through the things. And on February 8th, it was just a normal chapel service. There wasn't anything scheduled. There wasn't a plan. Chapel happened, people left, but a couple people stayed. A couple people, for some reason, had a new hunger and thirst for God and kneeled down at the front and began to just pray and repent and turn to God. Everyone else went to their class, but the band kind of kept playing and something started happening. Kids got out of their class, realized the band was still playing at chapel, started poking their heads in and were like, I need this too. I need to pray too. I need to, I need to not just go through the motions. And after two weeks, 50,000 people ascended onto the campus at Asbury, seeking God, pursuing God, repenting of their sins, going, God, I don't want to be casual with my faith anymore. And it was this phenomenon. It wasn't this charismatic, crazy experience where people are swinging from the shallow, nothing like that. It was this somber, hungry, and passionate desire for more of God. No lights, no smoke, no anything, just desire. And God showed up. And I'm watching this, and I'm hearing this, and I'm watching people debate about it, which is blowing my mind that people are debating the fact that there are people hungry and thirsty for God. But what it caused me to do the most was do some soul searching. And I had to ask myself, how hungry am I? How thirsty am I? I began to say, God, I... I don't want to miss out. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to lean in. And about a week or so ago, Asbury decided to shut it down the college because they still needed to do college. And and they made a great point about it. And there was kind of debate, should you shut down a movement of God? And they're like, "Uh, don't think of it that way. And I love what the president, uh, Kevin Brown, said. He, He said this, I don't view this as something solely owned by Asbury. I would be excited to see the same spiritual hunger and the same hearts being stirred occur at colleges and universities throughout the country, throughout the world, to see that happen in other churches, to see that happen in other communities. He's saying it's not, revival isn't a place. Revival isn't in a room. Revival begins in hearts of willing people that would say yes to more of God. And a couple kids decided that they weren't going to go through the motions of faith. They weren't just going to sing 
songs. You are all I want. You are all I need. You're enough for me. Enough. No. I was a little pitchy. I apologize. (laughs) They don't let me up here during the music. But I bet, I bet somewhere in your heart, you don't want to be that person. That somewhere you would agree with God. There's something about moving and leaning in. It's not about how loud you sing, but I will tell you this, hungry people just kind of don't care anymore. When you want some food, when, you're, when you know what you need, you, you, you go for it. And I wonder what it would be like for this church to just take a step forward in their hunger and thirst. What, what would we do if we're like, you know what, I'm, I, what would it look different? What, what would it mean for me to just not just kind of listen and just kind of ponder, but just lean in with a hunger and a thirst for God? Revival, friends, begin in our hearts, but it's, it's stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in this, all this, I'm asking these questions. I'm looking at myself. I'm recognizing, God, I don't want to miss out on this. And all of a sudden, I find myself, you know, driving down the road, turning off sports radio, not because there's anything wrong with sports radio, not because, like, all of a sudden, you're not allowed to do these things if you actually love God. It's not about allowed to. It's just that I didn't want to. I wanted to turn on worship music. I wanted to just lean into the presence of God. And and self-disclosure, I am still listening to sports radio, okay? I mean, the Seahawks have the number five draft pick. It matters, okay? But I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, in the life that we live, when you hunger and thirst for God, you will just start choosing God over other things that aren't necessarily wrong. You'll just rearrange your schedule. You'll find out that there's a worship night or a prayer night, or you'll just come to church more often not because you have to, not because you're being judged if you don't, but because there's a yes in your heart to lean into more of God. A great litmus test is how do you respond to the opportunities that are afforded to you to lean into more of what God has for you? But let me encourage you, every person in this room, whether you're online listening right now or you're right here at the nine o'clock, This invitation to this way of life from Jesus is not for the spiritually elite. This is not for those people that are whoa, way up there and they're just gonna go all in. No, no, friends, please hear me on this, that this this invitation is for the overwhelmed mom. It's for the unstable student. It is for the quiet and reserved person that, that is just trying to kind of ponder what it is to even follow Jesus. This is for those of you that are in this room right now or watching online right now and you can't even believe that you got to church because this is a massive step in your hunger and thirst. And I would say no matter who you are, no matter where you are, what you're going through, what kind of pain is in your heart or what kind of fear you have about faith, you are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you will experience a different kind of happy than casual Christianity or just kind of putting your toe in the water of faith. But what are we to hunger and thirst for? This is where we need to understand the text. 
The scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you don't understand what righteousness is, you won't know what to hunger and thirst for. And I'm concerned that too many people don't really know what righteousness is or what it means to gain righteousness. And so they kind of take on their own definitions. Many people think, and maybe you do too, and it would be normal to think this, think that righteousness means right living. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to, to live right. If I live right, I will be righteous. And that's uh, an innocent approach, right? Like, I want to I get right, and I'll be blessed if I get right. I'm going to get myself right. If I live right, I will be righteous. So what, what do we do? We try to stop doing things right, and we try to start doing things, and we try to start living right so that we will be approved by God. Friends, track with me here. If you don't hear me say anything else, know this, that you can be moral and still be far from God. That you can stop doing a lot of things and start doing a lot of things, all of them good, and still find yourself far from God because doing good and stop doing bad is not the good news of the gospel. The, go the goal is not to live or the goal is not to pursue a virtuous life. You can have virtue without Jesus. Now track with me here. Patience is a virtue, or so they say, or my wife tells me all the time, right? Patience is a virtue. So you say, I need to be more patient. If I'm more patient, I'll have more virtue. If I'm more virtuous, I'll be more righteous. I will be blessed. God will approve of me. Or the opposite. I need to stop being angry. I need to stop uh, uh, caring so much about my physical appearance. I need to stop looking at porn. Whatever it is, we go, I, if I start this or stop doing this, then I will be more virtuous, then I will be more righteous. But friends, track with me. There is no moral pursuit that will make you righteous. I want you to let this kind of sink in. There is no moral pursuit, starting things or stopping things, that will make you more righteous. Let me help you track with this. This is bad grammar, but this may be helpful. Doing less bad does not make you more good. Doing less bad. If I stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, I will be righteous, therefore I will be... Doing less bad does not make you more good. If I stop doing this, right? No, on your best, very best, like I did it, I've stopped this, I've started doing this. On your best, most moral day, we are still not righteous. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 reminds us of this. This is what it says. There is no one righteous, not even one. But Jesus blessed those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. But, but guess what? You'll never get there. Oh, great. Then I'm just going to be on this hamster wheel. And I, let's just skip this all together. Let's just try to make it to, to tomorrow. No, no, no. Jesus wants us to understand what righteousness is. The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to try to make yourself righteous. Jesus is is our righteousness. He paid the price so that we could have what we could never earn. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It is because you are in Christ Jesus, look at this, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The apostle Paul is telling the church, look, look, if you want to become righteous, if you want to become holy, if you want to become redeemed, you're not going to do it on your own. 
It's in Christ. Christ, it's the good news of the gospel. Jesus lived the life that we could not live to give us the life that we could not get, so we put our hope and faith in him, and he makes us new. Amen, somebody. So we don't pursue good works as much as we pursue Jesus. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for Jesus. But if we try to hunger and thirst for living right and stopping that and doing that, and we just kind of put Jesus on the shelf, we will try to effort a way forward that we were never made to effort. That is impossible. It is exhausting. But in Christ, we are made free. He is our righteousness. And as we say yes to Jesus, we pursue the way of Jesus. It's not on the screen, but Titus chapter 2 teaches us that, that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us as we follow Jesus, we'll be like, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to do this. I'm following Jesus now. Those things take care of themselves. As we are honest with our pursuit of Jesus, we will begin to say no to things and say yes to things. But we start with Jesus. We don't start with saying yes and no to things. Am, am I tracking with anybody today? This is so important because so many Christians are telling the world that Christianity is moralism, that we live a good life and you should too. And you're doing all those bad things, but us Christians, we do the good moral things. And that's not good news. Good news is that Christ paid the price so that we could surrender to him and experience the life that he's invited us into. We go from willing participants to eager Hungry, hungry and thirsty participants. And there's a big difference. Come on, man. Let me just pick on you a little bit because I'm picking on myself. Have you ever like come home from work and or maybe just to pick your scenario here, but this has happened to me. I've come home from work and I go to sit down and Jen goes, oh, hey, would you be willing to run back up to Safeway and get some ingredients that I, I need? And I'm like, <laughs> and before I sit down, I stand up and I look at her. And I say, I will. <laughs> Man of the year, I am not, right? <laughs> Willing is not the same thing as eager. Hungry and thirsty. If my perspective is like, I'm here to serve my wife, I'm here to love her and care for her, and she says, hey, will you? Absolutely, heck yeah, let's go. That, that's different, and uh, just kind of rare in our households, just to be honest with you. But, but this is the difference. Come on, come on, come on. When you follow Jesus, well, I, I can't do this, and I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to go to church, and I'm willing but God's like, no, 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 you will not experience a different kind of happy until you go all in and you experience this eagerness. And what happens to those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness? They will be filled. As we prepare to wrap up this message, as we prepare to wrap up this series, Jesus is talking to a crowd and he's longing, longing for the ache that they have in their heart to be filled not with mere religion, not with just kind of getting yourself put it back together a little bit by doing some good things. He said, no, I have a kingdom for you. But I want to show you a different way to do it. And that different way isn't necessarily religion because religion had become self-righteous in those days. And Jesus says, I want to show you a different kind of happy. He would go on to say, I am the bread of life. 
This is where your fulfillment will be. Just follow me. And the good news is that when God is inviting us to be eager and hungry and thirsty, do you know what's so great? Is that Jesus represents the heart of God because not only is Jesus saying, be hungry and thirsty, but in a way God is saying, I am hungry and thirsty for you. That God so loved the world that he sent his son. God's like, I so want to be connected to you. I am coming to you. And this is the attribute of me that I invite you to experience because this is where good good things happen. In fact, uh, Exodus 34, uh, God actually gives himself a bio. Some of you are on like LinkedIn or you've got your little Twitter bio. Do you know that God gave himself his own bio when he was like, hey, I, no one else is going to define me. I'm going to define myself. And, and this is one of the most repeated phrases of God in all the scripture. Exodus 34, look at the hunger and thirst. Uh, this is what happens. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, he's talking about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to, the, to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God's saying, I am eager to come to you. I, I want to show my compassion and love. It's an invitation. I love Old Testament scholar Douglas Stewart. He summarizes this text by saying, God does not reluctantly forgive sins. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. Our God is hungry and thirsty for you and for me. And he says, this is how I created you in my own image. This is how you should live. And this is where you will experience even in pain, even when you're not getting what you wanted, even when your prayers aren't being answered, even when life is not going the way you thought it would. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So I want to close as we prepare for communion with this psalm that Jesus was referencing. In Psalm 107, 8 and 9, it says this, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and wonderful deeds for mankind. For Look at this. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. This is our God and this is what Jesus came to proclaim. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're trying to fix in your life. But I will tell you this, if you try to fix it without Jesus, you're gonna be exhausted. That Jesus came, he says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He is, he is hungry and thirsty for you. And may we pop the cork. May we lean in, may we sing a little bit louder, raise our hands a little bit higher. May we say yes to the things of God, not because we're forced to, but because there's a desire in our heart, he's filled us with good things. So here's what we're gonna do. We've been doing this the last few weeks. We're doing something different for communion. Rather than be handed communion on your way in, we have tables all around the room. And we wanna take some time during the season of Lent just enough to do communion differently. And in doing so, by getting up and going from your seat, you can walk over to the table and just so you know, uh, the communion is double cupped. I have a little illustration here, double cup, see that? The juice, the bread is in that second cup. And then we also have gluten-free options in the, in the bowl nearby. But here's my encouragement to you.
is that maybe, maybe you're like, Brian, I'm not gonna do communion today. I'm just gonna sit right where I'm at. I need to reflect. I need to pray. I just need to stay where I'm at. That's totally fine, even encouraged. But for the rest of us, I would encourage you to go partake in the communion. And, and maybe, maybe you should go with your spouse or your friend or your home community group or someone that you came with. You can decide if you want to do it on your own or with somebody. But I recognize this myself is that I was taking communion every week and I wasn't even making eye contact with my wife one time. And I thought, man, this is, this is an opportunity for us to pray together. It's an opportunity for us to commit to Jesus together. There's something about the church being together. Again, sometimes it's a private thing. Sometimes it should be together. But you see, Jesus invites us whenever we gather to partake in communion because the, the juice represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the price that we could never pay. And the bread represents his body broken for us. He became human. He understands pain. He understands disappointment. He came to live this life, but he did not sin so that we could be reunited with God. But it's through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity is not about moralism. Christianity is about Jesus. And each week we say yes to Jesus again and again and again. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, Brian, if I'm honest, I've never actually said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've said yes to church or the belief in God. You've kind of said, I'm still in charge. I'm still going to fix my life. I'm still going to do the right things and I'll even come to church. But you've never said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to follow you. Teach me what it is to live in your kingdom. This could be the moment that you needed. We don't have to have a bunch of fanfare. You can just go take communion and pray your own prayer to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I commit my life to you. But let's take a few moments to remember what Christ has done and to renew our hunger and thirst for him. So I'm gonna pray, then we'll leave some time for communion, then we'll close with a song and the benediction. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being hungry and thirsty for us. And God, I pray that there would be a yes in our hearts today. In the midst of our pain or in the midst of our question marks or the midst of, of wherever we are in life, Lord, thank you for inviting us, all of us, every single one of us, no matter who we are, to experience your goodness. I pray that we all would by saying yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.